French company Arriva is the only one of its kind involved in the complete nuclear cycle, from mining uranium to enriching it, producing energy and disposing of nuclear waste. Now there are literally dozens of new nuclear plants being built around the world and Arriva will be involved in many of them. And it's nuclear plants that many Australians seem particularly worried about, with incidents like Chernobyl in Russia and Three Mile Island in the United States at the forefront of concerns. Arriva's business development manager, Selena Ng, is frank about the issue. The first thing I should say, if we're being honestly frank, no one can guarantee in any industry that an accident won't happen again. We can't guarantee in Australia that we won't have another Beaconsfield. You can't guarantee that there won't be another coal mine death in China, for example. Um, and likewise, in the nuclear industry, you can't guarantee that there will never, ever be another incident. What you can guarantee is that when you have an incident, that you put in place everything possible in order that you minimise, you absolutely minimise the risk of it ever happening again. Start with Three Mile Island. Um, what happened there in the late 70s was that they had an incident, which was an accident, mostly due to human error. But if you look at the results of that, of that incident, yes, the nuclear reactor was mostly destroyed, it couldn't be used again, but there was very little uh, release to the environment uh, and little effects on human health. So it was basically contained. And that's because the Three Mile Island reactor had what we call a containment building built around it, which meant that even if there was uh, a problem in the core, in the, in the core of the reactor, it would be contained within the containment building. And that's, the, you know, that's what we call the defence in depth principle in nuclear reactor safety. It's having these successive barriers so that every time you breach a barrier, at least you've got one more. And in general, the containment building is seen as a huge concrete, uh, reinforced concrete building. Nothing should escape that. And that was the case in Three Mile Island. Now, moving on to Chernobyl, we're looking at a very different type of reactor. It's a reactor which was designed by the Soviet Union. It did not have a containment building. It, it also had some design flaws in, in the way um, the reactor operated when you increased the temperature, for, as, for example. Um, the reaction went out of control. When you put it to low power settings, the reaction also had a tendency to go out of control. I can't go into a lot of detail here, but if you look at the circumstances of how that uh, accident occurred, what you had was very early in the morning, you had a couple of operators there. They'd been asked to conduct some tests at low power settings. Now, like I just said, at low power settings, the chain reaction has a tendency to go out of control. And so, of course, they conducted these low power settings, uh, these tests, and in order to do that, they had to turn off the automatic safety mechanisms which were built into the reactor design. So they turned off the automatic safety mechanisms, they started doing their tests, and they realized just a little bit too late that it had spun out of their control. So they tried to fix it, but it was far too late. So of course you had the chain reaction going out of control, you had an explosion from the heat. Um, the top came off, no containment building to stop it, so it came off, exposed all that radioactivity to the air. It came back down, tons and tons of concrete coming back down. Uh, you had the graphite in the reactor, which was burning for, I think, something like nine days and you had all that radioactivity being released. Not only that, the authorities, the Soviet authorities, didn't move to alert the public, evacuate the public, until I think something like 36 hours after the accident. Now you know that radioactivity decreases. In those first 36 hours, you can imagine the radioactivity that was released there. I think a whole combination of things, which all mean that Chernobyl was a horrible, horrible disaster. That's, ab that's absolutely true and no one should ever negate that. Um, but I think the circumstances are such that a whole series of things happened in the international nuclear industry after that. Instantly they moved in, um, they realised, okay, we had to train Russian operators, the World Association of Nuclear Operators was formed, specifically 
um, to do exchanges with Russian nuclear operators to train them into safety standards, train them about safety culture, to instill that sort of safety first above everything else culture, which now exists all around the world with all the nuclear operators. And that's one of those great initiatives where every single nuclear operator around the world is now a member of the World Association of Nuclear Operators. So there are a lot of reactors around Europe and in Scandinavian countries there are reactors being built still. Are they of this containment style or con reactor containment uh, d construction that you're talking about? They all, all have to be built that way? Yeah, so there are different models of reactors. The first barrier is your, the covering, and in French we say gainage, uh, of, the, of the actual fuel. Okay, so the metal, if that's ruptured, then you have the second barrier, which is the actual reactor vessel itself. And the third barrier, the, most, uh, the one which, which really worked in Three Mile Island, is that reinforced concrete containment building. And certainly the reactors that Arriva's constructing and any of the other re reactor constructors around the world all have that concept. And they've pushed it further, for example, our evolutionary pressurized water reactor that we're building in Finland and in France and soon to start in China um, that has double containment buildings. So we're, we're always looking at increasing the safety, improving the safety, just like you do with cars. You've got a good model which works but it doesn't mean you become complacent. You keep on trying to improve the safety as much as you can. There are literally dozens of new nuclear plants being built around the world and Areva will be involved in many of them. So what actually happens to all the waste that's produced? It's a question that is often raised by Australians. Areva's business development manager, Selena Ng, explains how other countries deal with their nuclear waste. If you look at the Scandinavian countries, because of course, as we know, Scandinavians have a very uh, conscientious, a social conscientious culture. So in Finland, for example, which is a small population, but they've got a, a large proportion of nuclear energy in their country. And the Finns are extremely conscientious about the fact that there's waste from this nuclear power and that they have to deal with it. So when the Finnish government did their consultation with the communities and they say, hey, okay, well, we need to build a nuclear waste repository, who wants to take it? You had communities putting their hands up wanting to take that facility because they felt it was their responsibility to manage the waste. After all, they're getting electricity from the nuclear energy. Well, of course they have to put the waste somewhere. And so that's all that's all underway and that should be coming online um, by 2020. So you've got, that's Finland, that's the first start. Next door in Sweden, again another sort of Scandinavian country, um, same thing happening. You know, you've got very good consultation process carried out by the governmental authorities with the local communities and again the local community is saying yes it's our responsibility to take our waste and do it. That's evidence of the issue moving forward. So of course then you have the case of the United States with uh, Yucca Mountain in Nevada which hasn't moved forward. Um, hopefully they'll make some progress on that but I think there's, there's a large part to play in the sort of cultures of the, the different cultures that there are and, and how we feel responsible for our waste or not and the UK is just starting that consultation process now in Canada the same thing's going on um, and in Australia we have to do that for our waste as well that's coming from all the radioisotopes we use for medical treatments for PET scans for radiotherapy for cancer treatments we need to store that somewhere we need to store um, the waste coming from the research reactor fuel out at Lucas Heights um, which, is, which runs to produce those radioisotopes that we need to use in medicine, industry and agriculture. I mean, that's, that's our responsibility. We're getting the benefits from this. We should be taking on, on the waste as well. You've mentioned those countries and what we're looking at doing here in the countries that, like in Scandinavia in, in 2020. What's happened to all the waste that was generated in the last 40 years plus of nuclear energy? There's radioactive waste from a lot of different things. Like I mentioned the radioisotopes, for example, um, gloves which, which come into contact with radiation, all the equipment that you use. We categorise them differently. Uh, so the International Atomic Energy Agency, you've got low-level waste, which is maybe gloves, clothing, intermediate-level waste, which is, for example, um, the waste which will be 
coming from the research reactor fuel uh, in, in Ansto. Um, and then you've got the high-level waste, which is either spent fuel if people don't recycle it, so that's from power generation, or if they do recycle it, it's the very small amount of, um, of very radioactive waste encased, immobilised in glass. Okay, that's, that's one of the ways that we're treating the, the research reactor fuel that's being recycled in France at the moment. For example, if you take the case of France, they've pursued a policy of recycling. Recycling into what? Uh, you recycle it into new fuel. Okay. So if you take the fuel that comes out of a reactor, of a power generating reactor, about 96% of that's recyclable. You've got 95% uranium, which you can then recycle into, into new uranium fuel rods. You've got 1% plutonium that you can mix with some uranium and make it into mixed oxide fuel. And for example, um, Ariva is involved in constructing a mixed oxide fuel fabrication facility in the U.S. right now in South Carolina to, to recycle that into fuel that can be used in the United States uh, in the U.S. reactors. How, how often can you recycle the recycled material? That's, that's a really good question. Uh, it comes down to a question of economics and also a question of the deterioration, obviously, of, of the fuel that you have and to the type of reactors that you're going to recycle it in. So in today's power reactors, which were constructed in the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s, and even perhaps 90s, we're probably looking at, you know, a couple of times. We'll see how it goes with the economics and how, how it goes around. For example, in France today, you've got um, the mixed oxide fuel being used in a lot of the reactors. Um, also, Japan is really getting into that. And in the United States, you're going to see that coming online soon, and other countries in Europe. The ones we're building in Finland and France and China at the moment are Generation 3 Plus reactors. The current ones that are operating around the world are Generation 2, let's say. So there's a lot of research, huge international collaboration going into Generation 4 reactors, which are looking at, of course, increased safety, increased efficiency, better non-proliferation features, and reducing, reducing the waste um, that comes out of it. And that includes increasing the amount of energy you can get out of the fuel 